0: It is fun to be here for the evening service. And it was even better that it was like, it was light up until about 20 minutes ago, which I'm really enjoying because it means that there is hope even in the midst of this miserable Glasgow weather. There are a few times in your life, there are moments in life when it is entirely appropriate and good that someone who is an authority over you would tell you to stop. I've had a lifelong passion for a well-stocked 2p machine. And when my brother and I were younger and we'd go on holidays and we'd be in like seaside resorts and there'd be an arcade with a 2p machine, we would go mad for it. The thrill, the possibility that you might beat the little girl standing beside you. But my parents had a pretty firm rule and that was that we got a little bucket and we would get a pound of 2p's and that was it. Once we had spent our 2p's and inevitably lost all of them, then we were told it is time for you to stop. It was for my own good. Pancake Tuesday is coming up. Now Pancake Tuesday is quite a different experience when you're an adult because there's no one telling you that you have to stop eating pancakes. But when we were younger, my brother and I would beg and beg and beg and beg and beg my mom to make crepes. And then one sacred morning a year, she would actually oblige and she would make pancakes. But then about six pancakes in the dreaded words would come where she'd say, okay, it's time to stop. I recently got really into an online workout called Body Attack. Now Body Attack, um, I appreciate Body Attack because it's kind of as violently effective as it sounds. You feel a little bit like you're being attacked. You sound a little bit like you're being attacked, but you're actually paying for an online gym subscription and giving someone your money for the pleasure of it. And I got really, really, really into body attack and I was doing it like nearly every day after work and I was talking about it lots because that's the sort of person that I am. And when I would talk about it, um, there were certain people who, who knew the workout and they'd be like, um, "Like, how, how can you do that in a tenement flat? You know, isn't it noisy? Don't your neighbors mind? And I was like, no, you know, my neighbors must like me. No one's complained. I'm considerate. I basically used my washing machine rule. You know, if it was a time of the day that I wouldn't put my washing machine on, then I wouldn't do body attack. That's fine, you know, so, you know, no antisocial hours, not really late at night, not really early in the morning, never for more than an hour, you know, good washing machine etiquette also applied to body attack. And I thought, this is fine. My neighbors are fine, they're chill. But a month and a half into doing body attack pretty much every day in my tenement flat, um, I was 20 minutes into a workout and I heard a knock on the door. And I was like, ah, I'm busy. Maybe like a politician or someone with a flyer. I'm just gonna ignore it. But then the knocking just got louder. So I thought, okay, I should investigate what this is. And I went and I opened the door and it was a policeman. And he was there to tell me to stop. Because apparently my elderly neighbor who lives underneath me thought her chandelier was going to fall on her. From the sheer vibrations of me doing body attack upstairs. He told me to stop and it was for my own good. We're gonna think about Sabbath today as the way that God tells us to stop for our own good. Sabbath is something that I am slowly but surely waking up to as an incredibly good gift from the God who loves me that helps me to stay awake to him and alive in Jesus. So to recap a little, we are in the middle of a series on reawakening. We're about six weeks through, which actually means that we're over halfway done, um, which is kind of crazy. But if this is uh, if you've been here for the whole journey or if you've just been here tonight, just to give a little bit of a recap of the series so far. So Brian started the reawakening series about six weeks ago via video. He told us about how um, this church exists to lay the foundations for long lasting reawakening, basically meaning that we want to see many, many people come awake to God, know who he is. Come alive in jesus because of what he's done on the cross josh from belfast who's the most english sounding person from belfast i have ever heard he came and he taught us on prayer he reminded us of elijah's story god dousing uh elijah dousing the wood with water and then praying for a mighty move of god so that people would see and acknowledge that god was the one true god Alan Meldrum came a few weeks ago and he taught on prayer. He taught us about uh, being transformed by uh, not prayer, the Bible. He taught us about being transformed by the Bible as we become totally immersed in it. He did this sort of action, which I will never forget. We thought about the call to radical obedience, that by truly hearing and listening to God and obeying him in response to that, we might see reawakening impact even just from the obedience of one person. We thought about that. And then Ruth came last week, fresh off a flight to Hawaii and she taught us about how really Glasgow and Hawaii aren't all that different. So I've been enjoying that reality this week with the rain and the rain and the icy rain. It's been great, I've practically been on a holiday. But really, Ruth reminded us that even um, in a city where the the rain never stops, the, the praise for God will flow out of us the more awake we become to who he is, to what he's like, to what he's doing in our lives. What do we mean, what what are we talking about when we talk about reawakening? I thought about that again this week because we kind of drop that word around here lots and um, to us it means something, but even this week as I thought about this, I was like, what, what am I meaning? What do I mean when I talk about reawakening? I guess we believe that God is real and he's alive and he's worth knowing. And we believe that he's at work and that he's calling people back to himself. And when I think about reawakening, I guess, When I think about like a Christian um, remembering again what God is like, remembering again who he is, it makes me think of that, the feeling like when you find a tenner in your coat pocket, but times a million, And when I think about someone who's never known God, someone who um, maybe the church thing is brand new and the Jesus thing is brand new, when I think about someone being reawakened or awakened to God for the first time, I think about like an all expenses paid trip to Alton Towers where you you don't have to queue for any of the rides and the kids are all in school, like just something that's almost too good to be true and you're experiencing it for the first time. And we've been learning over the last few weeks about lots of things that God's people typically do in any time of a reawakening the things like prayer, Bible reading, obedience. And I think our little like note-taking, list-making, task-oriented brains have like a space for that where we can think, okay, yeah, like I wanna pray more or I wanna pray differently or maybe I could join a Bible read-through group or I heard God say that thing to me and I'm, I'm gonna be obedient to that and I'm gonna do that. And we might be encouraged and we're hopefully spurred on, but there's also a chance that we're tired If you ever want to really hate a city that you really love, I would recommend running a marathon in it. Um, I did the Vancouver Marathon in 2016 in 27-degree heat, and it was awful. And I will never forget how it was so hot that they basically employed all of these other little, like, marathon minions to stand at the side of the road and just use loudspeakers to shout at you to rehydrate. And every single, there were loads of water stations, but they basically transformed every single water station. They brought out like that purple electrolyte juice and put it at every station too. And I remember running in the heat and like the sweat just dripping off me and seeing that station, the water and like the purple juice electrolyte station in the distance and it was just like something divine coming at me. And I was like, if I can just get to that, then I'm gonna be okay then I can make it. And I would be there and I would be like dicing the juice all over myself because at that point, you like can't coordinate your arms anymore. So I'd do that and then I would see these people who were running the marathon and they would run right past the station. And I just thought, you're going to die. You're going to die because we need this. Sometimes I think I run through my life like those stations don't exist we don't want to be the marathon runner of our lives who never stops at the water stations i think sabbath to us can be like that purple electrolyte juice it's there it's available it's good we should stop for it if we want to get to the finish we don't want to be those athletes who don't take a recovery day and then we feel and we lose our race What are we talking about when we talk about sabbath what do i mean when i talk about sabbath you could do a whole sermon series on sabbath but when i talk about sabbath tonight i'm talking about sabbath that comes from the hebrew word shabbat meaning to stop working and to rest it appears a lot in the bible's big story at the start of the the narrative god creates the world in six days he then takes a sabbath he commands his people to sabbath he reminds his people to sabbath through the prophets Jesus heals on the Sabbath and teaches about the Sabbath, and then the New Testament writers continue to teach us about the Sabbath. I'm talking about Sabbath today as a spiritual discipline, just meaning something that helps us to grow, helps us to be more awake to who God is. And when I talk about Sabbath, I'm, I'm being quite specific, and I'm mostly meaning one day of our week that is devoted to resting in God. I think Sabbath can be more than that. People talk about um, a Sabbath spirituality, whereby Sabbath starts to like impact and infiltrate every part of your life, that soul rest in God impacting everything. And I think Sabbath can be more than one day a week devoted to God and resting in Him, but, it, but it's definitely not less than one day a week devoted to God and resting in Him. So that's mostly what I mean when I talk about Sabbath. And two things I know for sure, probably the only two things I know for sure, is that I've not mastered it, I've not mastered this. I learned at a really young age that I would be praised and I would feel loved if I did stuff. I am the epitome of the child who gets the effort award all grown up. And as such, taking a day of my week, every single week where I stop working and stop striving and stop trying hard, that takes practice for me. It's not what I do naturally. It's not what I wanna do naturally. I've not mastered this yet. But the second thing I also know for sure is that I need it. I need this. Truth be told, I get to my Thursday night, and that's the kind of end of my work week, and I am so tired. If you see me on a Thursday night, you'll you'll see it. Like I'm ready to Sabbath, I need it. And I feel like in the season of my life maybe more than any before it God is drawing Sabbath out of me just from the ache of my own heart and the need to stop the need to rest the need to find him at the end of my week and to be with him and to be refilled there's a guy called Walter Brueggemann and he wrote a book called um, the Sabbath as resistance and he writes that basically the world we now live in has us living with a restlessness that issues inescapably in anxiety that is often at the edge of being unmanageable. I read that this week and it's a lot of words and it's quite wordy but it like hit me at my core somewhere when I thought about living life at the edge with anxiety that puts us at the edge of what is unmanageable. And I think in my own life sometimes I'm at that edge and I'm like hanging my feet over and like dipping my toes into like exhaustion where it's unmanageable. And I think, you know, I'm just on the edge. It's fine here on the edge. You know, I can see it, but I'm not there. Like I'm not totally unrested. I'm not totally exhausted. I'm not totally emotionally frazzled. I'm just on the edge. But then you think like, do I want to live on the edge of that where it's unmanageable? Or do I want to live out of deep, soul, rest, and God, the God who loves me, the God who wants me to be whole and happy and healthy in Him. It's worth me getting past sabbathing ish you know, or where we, where we take a day off and do all the work we're not paid to do, or where we think, you know, this evening, I'm gonna have a sort of Sabbath-style evening, and then we just binge Netflix, and our soul just gets even more sore and isn't healed and isn't refreshed because it strikes me that tired and weary and overwhelmed Christians don't glorify God very well. I hope and I pray that God uses me and will reveal himself through me and all my imperfections for all my life, but when I think back to my university career, I don't think many of my friends who didn't know Jesus would have looked at me at certain points and thought, oh my gosh, like Laura's so exhausted, she just fell asleep on the toilet, but I bet her God is good. I'm exhausted I don't make God known as he can be known I don't know him as he can be known if you're like me and you've not mastered this yet I'm hoping that God will call our hearts to rest today and as we look at Sabbath I'm gonna anchor myself in Psalm 23 um, it's my Sabbath Sam not because I get up at 6 a.m. every time I take a Sabbath and I meditate on this psalm and I read it, but more because um, my school choir used to sing the Vicar of Dibley version of this song, and as such, I've known it off by heart for quite some time. So in my tiredest moments, and my most weary moments, um, I find that the Holy Spirit brings me back to this psalm because I can remember it, whether I've got my Bible in front of me or, or whether I don't. I wanna read it today and my prayer is that as I read it, you wouldn't let these familiar words just wash all over you but that in it, God would call us to hunger after the gift he gives us of soul, rest, and Sabbath. I'm gonna read it just now. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along. The words will be on the screen. So it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures Okay, a few things about Sabbath with Psalm 23 as our guide as we go tonight. The first thing being that Sabbath says something. Okay, so just imagine with me for a second that you can be anywhere, doing anything, money is no issue, time is no issue, place is no issue. Just all your dreams come true in a moment. Where are you, what are you doing? I think of this sometimes and quite often In my dream world, I am lying on a sun lounger in Fiji or anywhere that the sky doesn't leak all the time. I'm lying on that, there's a thing in um, the Galgorm Hotel in Northern Ireland, which I've come to affectionately know as the hot slab, and it's literally just a hot slab of concrete that you lie on, but because it's in a spa, that's something you want to do. I imagine myself in my bed with my electric blanket on and my duvet pulled up over my face. And then I start to think, oh, like if I'm imagining, if I'm daydreaming about sleep, does that tell me something about the state of my soul? I don't know where you go in your dream world, but maybe you have a similar heart pull towards places where you can lie down, places where you can be not working, places where you can be at rest and refilled and refreshed. I believe in our cultural context, taking a Sabbath, can be one of the most dramatic statements we can make to the world around us about who God is and who we are in light of that. Because generally speaking, we are chronically restless people. Apparently psychologists are diagnosing a hurry sickness. And restlessness is such an issue and Sabbath is such a potential solution that Christians more and more around the world are talking about this, releasing books on this. David opens Psalm 23 with this radical statement of trust He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It's simple, and yet it is massive. Or in an older translation, he says, I shall not want. In an age of chronic restlessness, if we rest, if we are willing to stop, it says to the world, God loves me, I have everything I need, I lack nothing. I shall not want. Brueggemann says in his book, in our contemporary culture of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. It's resistance because in stopping one day a week, we stand against the messages of our culture that would say you need to buy more, have more, be more, do more, achieve more in order to not lack something. Everything in the world around us would have us think that we lack something. So it's an act of resistance if we stop and we say, no, I, I lack nothing. And it's an act of alternative because it tells a different story. It tells the world a story of grace, where we have enough and we are enough because God is God and he loves us. I lack nothing. In Exodus thirty-one twelve, God says to the Israelite people, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come not your good behavior will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come but my Sabbath you resting will be a sign through the desert in the promised land into exile when they were going to be surrounded by nations and people who did not worship God and did not live life the same way that they lived it Sabbath was going to be the sign Sabbath says something second thing sabbath is about who god is sabbath rest is not just a good idea it's not just a nice thought but it comes directly from the heart of the god who made us the next part of Psalm 23 david says he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he refreshes my soul david identifies yahweh here as the god who gives him rest guides him into rest it's the source of all rest And we don't need to manufacture soul rest for ourselves. In fact, we can't. Me switching off my Instagram or running another hot bath will not make my soul rest, although those things may help. But there's nothing that will give my soul rest disconnected from the God who made my soul. Rest is something that God did at the beginning. He, um, in the Genesis creation account, he creates man and woman in his image, in his likeness. He blesses them and the work that they're gonna do. He provides for them by giving them food. He then introduces Sabbath, rest, as something that's gonna be central to the rhythm of their life and their flourishing. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. Rest is the only part of creation that God blesses and calls holy. He blesses the people, but he calls rest holy. You know when a parent pretends to eat something so that their child will want it? I used to think that that's what God was doing when he rested. Like as if he'd sort of concocted this whole plan whereby he was like, you know, obviously I'm God, I don't need to rest, but I'll do the six day thing. And then because these little people made out of dust, they're gonna need to rest, I'll, I'll rest for a day. But then Exodus 31:17 says, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever, the Sabbath, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. He actually rested we rest and we should rest because yes we're made from the dust and we have limitations and we need to rest but also we're made in the image of a god who rested and was refreshed david writes he makes me lie down god commands us to rest. When he gave the commandments at Mount Sinai, and um, the Ten Commandments, I, I love, I'm fascinated by the order of them because it goes like the three like love God, honor God, worship God commandments and then the Sabbath commandment and then all of the like love your neighbor, live life well commandments come after that. The Sabbath commandment gets the most airtime on the mountain and it's the only commandment that begins with the words remember as if God knows that this is going to leak right out of us. It says remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God on it you shall not do any work neither you nor your son nor daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that's in them but he rested on the seventh day therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy in comparison to Egypt and Pharaoh and everything they stood for, God's rescued people were told to rest, to stop. The Sabbath is found nowhere else in Middle Eastern history, and it is entirely connected to the person of Yahweh, the God who David knew, the God he writes of when he says, He refreshes my soul. We have been set free from the slavery of striving, and yet we find ourselves building bricks we don't need to build for pyramids we don't need to build God has given us a new identity and rhythms of rest that he calls holy third thing Sabbath is healing Sabbath is healing in a real way that really does impact our day-to-day lives my brother recently read a book called why we sleep And afterwards, he became such a passionate advocate for a decent night's sleep that he practically preaches the gospel of a good eight hours. But it's quite a good book. Um, There's a guy, Matthew Walker, he's a neuroscientist. And in this book, he says this about rest in its purest form, so about sleep, he says, from a purely evolutionary perspective, sleep's a total mystery because no matter what vantage point you take, sleep would appear to be the most foolish of biological phenomena. When you're asleep, you can't gather food. You can't socialize. You can't find a mate and reproduce. You can't nurture or protect your offspring. Worse still, sleep leaves you vulnerable to predators. Sleep is surely one of the most puzzling of all human endeavors. He goes on to talk about how sleep literally heals us. That there's not one organ in our body or process in our brain that's not benefited by it or detrimentally impacted by the absence of it. He calls sleep a remarkable Swiss army knife of health and wellness, and says it's the single best thing we can do for our health. Some of you are like, great, because I'm falling asleep right now. Save it, but it's good. Rest is healing, sleep is healing. And maybe from some perspectives it seems to make no sense, yet it seems like God knew what he was doing when he built the rhythm of life to be work, sleep, work, sleep, work, sleep, and then rest, like prolonged rest that would heal us. And as such, time spent resting with God in Sabbath is deeply healing for us. Jesus healed lots of times on the Sabbath and defended his right to do so not to undo or undermine the Sabbath commandment, but because he felt it to be entirely appropriate as a day for healing. David says of the God who gives him rest, he says he refreshes my soul before leading into, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Regularly resting in God and being refreshed fuels an even though kind of faith in us. Regularly resting in God fuels an even though I walk through the darkest valley kind of faith. Resting in God, taking a Sabbath does not eliminate all of our problems. It's not like take a Sabbath and suddenly everything that's hard, you just won't find it hard anymore. But it gives us an even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil kind of faith. The valley might still be there on the other side of it, but something has changed within us because we've been refreshed, because we've got to know the God who is with us. In the New Testament, the words for healing and salvation are often completely interchangeable. And the whole way through the Bible, we see the healing and saving power of Sabbath rest. Isaiah 30, 15, the Israelite people are being addressed and it says, in repentance and rest is your salvation or your healing or your wholeness. In quietness and trust is your strength. Final thing, Sabbath is something to look forward to. Okay, so I live in Partick and there are a few popular Partick hotspots. One of which, CAF, just down the road, really popular. Like the popular kid in school, okay? Thousands of followers, tiny little space. You always have to wait to get a seat. That's how you know that it's good, it's great. You've got Meadow Road a little bit further down the road. Really, um, they've stood the test of time, okay? They've got lovely brownies, they've got, they do good eggs. Meadow Road is nice. You've also got space, okay? Space is like coming up fast behind those guys. Space has pink walls, it has yellow cups, it has the best banana bread in the entire world. We love space. But there's an unsung hero of the Parduk food scene and it's called Hot Donut. Now, Hot Donut is just down the road. But for a long time, I walked right past Hot Donut, and I looked at that donut, and I thought, I don't like it. (laughs) It's weird. That donut has arms and legs, and is smiling at me, and I don't like him, so I never went in. I looked in, and there was no one there. No one was there. Looked on their Instagram, they've got 91 followers. No offense if you've got 91 followers, but (laughs) I wasn't impressed. Didn't want to go into Hot Donut, but then one day, a friend told me that actually Hot Donut, pretty hot, pretty good. So I went into Hot Donut, find out that, first, you know, no queue, because no one's there, then 99p for three Hot Donuts, fresh out of whatever thing makes Donuts hot. The most delicious baked good I have potentially ever eaten in my entire life, okay? Get yourself the hot donut, get yourself some hot donuts. It is an unsung hero. Why? Because it is misrepresented, because the branding is bad. Okay, because people aren't talking about it the way they should be talking about it. We need to start talking about Sabbath as if it is the incredible thing that it is. We need to stop misrepresenting it. We need to stop boasting about how restless we are, how tired we are, how much work we're doing, and we need to start boasting about the incredible Sabbath day we just had. Let's not let it be like the unsung hero of the spiritual discipline world let's make it the hero it's no surprise that people are talking about this right now because for us for who we are as people for how tired we are sabbath is what we need and it is good matthew walker says that when it comes to sleep is the donut still there yeah that's fine you can just keep it there matthew walker says that when it comes to sleep we need to reverse a neglect and grow an appreciation and I think the same goes for Sabbath David writes in Psalm 23 about what it's like to be hosted by God's presence and he says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life in the Sabbath we are hosted by God's presence it's not something that was created after the fall. It's not like a plaster over a gaping wound. It's not something legalistic to make us chain our swings up and spoil our fun. It's something good. It's a gift to us. It was born out of God's delight at the world that He'd made. I heard someone this week describe Sabbath as a castle in time. And I love that because you think a castle in time, it's like somewhere to run to, it's a safe place to retreat to, to find refuge in. I used to read that bit where David says, you know, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, and I would just sort of skim over it because I, I like to think I don't have any enemies, and then I, I can't really imagine what that's like to, you know, eat a meal while, while your enemies watch. Like, it didn't really mean much to me, but then when I think about it in terms of like a castle in time, I guess I imagine David and, and God like feasting on a mountaintop And the Philistine army are at the bottom and they're there but they can't get to them and I think about Sabbath as a castle in time for me where my enemies are like everything in the world that feels like it's against me and feels like it's hard like it doesn't disappear but there's a castle there's a space where I can go to where I can hide where the door will close where they can't get me like I'm safe I'm in that space, I'm hosted by God's presence, and it's not just that I'm hiding, but actually that we're feasting. That there's something to delight in. Sabbath is a... So David says, sorry, I don't wanna miss this point. David says, my cup overflows. And I was recently welcomed into the home of a couple who I'd never really stayed with before and they didn't know me all that well. And sometimes that can be a little bit socially awkward. But when I got there in the first five minutes, um, the man who was hosting me brought this, like the biggest bowl I've ever seen in my life and he said it right in front of me. I was like, okay, this is interesting. What's gonna go in the bowl? And then he went to the cupboard and brought out the biggest bag of Costco popcorn i would ever seen and emptied it into the bowl to the point that the bowl was overflowing. And in that moment, I was like, this is what David means. <laughs> when he says my cup overflows, I feel welcome. I feel wanted. I feel like I can stay here. David is delighting in the God who wants his company. If you were at a banquet or you're at a feast and the host stops filling your cup, it's a sign to get out. You're done, okay? It's time to go home. But if the host continues to fill your cup, then it's a sign that you can stay. David's cup is overflowing. God wants to delight in his company. And in Sabbath, we get to spend time with the God who wants our company, who wants us to be with him. Sabbath was not... Designed as something to restrict our freedom or to take away our freedom But was designed to be a chance for us to celebrate our freedom in Deuteronomy the Sabbath commandment is repeated again, and it's nearly exactly the same except that this time the why is different and It says remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day sabbath is a day for us to remember that we are free and that is worth celebrating because it's good apparently jewish fathers used to give their kids a spoonful of honey on the morning of the sabbath so that their kids would never forget the sweetness of god's rest i take that as full permission to start my sabbath with a really sweet breakfast sabbath is much less hoops and boundaries and it's more a gift When Jesus was on the earth and people criticized him and what he was doing on the Sabbath, that he was healing on the Sabbath primarily, he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath is a way that God has made for us to rest in him first and then work. And in that way, it points us to the gospel because we work from love, we don't work for love. And there are things that I do on my Sabbath day purely because I love them, purely because I enjoy them and it helps me to delight in my freedom in God. For me, it it looks like breakfast food and life-giving friendships and trying to find a bargain in the charity shops of Pardock. For you, it might look like a hill climb with your dog or a well-cooked steak or a movie with your kids or a walk in the park or whatever, but we can do things to delight in God and the freedom that we have on the Sabbath, Sabbath is something to look forward to. As we draw towards a conclusion, Sabbath says something. Sabbath is about who God is, Sabbath is healing, and Sabbath is something to look forward to. Finally, as we conclude, ironically, the Sabbath takes work. When the Israelite people are commanded to Sabbath for the first time, they're given this, um, the Ten Commandments and this roadmap for a new rhythm of life and flourishing, and that's good. And then Moses goes up the mountain and he's there for 40 days and 40 nights and they forget who he is and they make themselves little gods out of their own earrings. And we've made little gods for ourselves and those gods don't let us stop. In Hebrews chapter four it says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. For me, the little gods I've made look like things like achievement, productivity, the opinion of other people. And on my Sabbath, I get to throw those little gods into the fire and watch them melt as I spend time with the true God the one true God who's worthy of my worship who lets me stop who calls me to stop how do we begin to Sabbath it's going to look different for different people um, I like what Heschel writes when he says if you work with your mind Sabbath with your hands if you work with your hands Sabbath with your mind I think there's wisdom in that I think all that to say it's it's worth considering what it looks like for you to stop your work and to rest in God. And I am so aware that we're all at different stages and different positions in life and you might have a job where you work shifts or you might be looking after small children or you might be caring for someone in your family and it just might look different for you and it might be more challenging for you to take like a 24 hour Sabbath every week but I wholeheartedly believe that it is possible for you to Sabbath. And I wholeheartedly believe that it's possible to learn to Sabbath in whatever season you are in, whatever that might look like for you, however differently it might look for you, I believe God wants to call you into that whatever season of life you're in. The Israelites in the desert were given enough manna for seven days in six so that they would learn how to Sabbath in the wilderness, so that then they would Sabbath in the promised land in the same way. I think we can start to learn how to sabbath no matter what is going on in our lives no matter what our circumstances are no matter what our family life looks like there's going to be a way to enjoy that soul rest in god some challenges for us uh, my first challenge is to make a plan i think we don't just naturally remember to do this it helps me to make a plan make a plan for your sabbath this week What will you stop in order to rest? What will you do in order to delight? Not for the sake of like a legalistic list, but for the sake of something that's going to help you. I made a list last week as I went into my Sabbath because I just know that my natural inclinations are not such that I will do this, so then I get swept up in whatever I'm doing and it doesn't happen. So my list, for example, was things like I will switch my phone off from this time to this time. I won't check my emails. I will not check the Rehope Instagram account. I will go for brunch. I will go for a long run. I will read a book totally unrelated to work. That was my list. But I would challenge you to make a plan for your Sabbath this week, whether it's gonna be a whole day for you or whether you're just like, I've only got a few hours on this night, but maybe this could be my Sabbath time, whatever it looks like for you. My second challenge though is if you are able, take a 24 hour Sabbath. Most of us totally can do this. We just need to carve it out in our lives. We need to make it a habit, make it routine. Maybe that's with your family. If you live um, in a, in a f- with, with a family, maybe that's with flatmates, maybe that's with um, whoever else is in your life, maybe that's on your own or just whatever you can manage. But if you can manage a 24-hour Sabbath, do a 24-hour Sabbath. And then finally, you put a weekly Sabbath in your diary. It says dairy on the screen, I'm aware. I was alerted to this earlier, apparently very humorous, but put a weekly Sabbath in your diary and ask God to help you keep it and treasure it. If it helps you to do that, if it helps you to literally put Sabbath into your calendar, then do that. If it just helps for you to make a plan that you're like, okay, from 5 p.m. on a Friday to 5 p.m. on a Saturday, that's my Sabbath. Or maybe you're like, okay, my Sunday's quite busy, so it just can't be my Sunday. Or maybe Sunday is the perfect day for you, but whatever it is, make a plan to have a weekly Sabbath and then ask God to help you treasure it and cherish it